Hello, you guys. Welcome to episode 23 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. I am your host, Troy McKitty, and um, my, my, have I got a show for you today, my sweet, sweet baby. Uh, I'm currently scrolling through 22 pages of notes, just so you know. I felt really bad about last week. It was our first Smush Room uh, repeat episode, but I just was in the midst of an emotional breakdown, and I was like, you know what? If I do record an episode, it will be the one that I hate going back and listening to the most, because in the middle of it, I will literally be losing my mind. You'll just be hearing the ramblings of a crazy person, and not like normally. You'd normally listen to the ramblings of a crazy person, but like controlled ramblings, that would have just been like me complaining for an hour about how stressed out I am. Like, I just, I wasn't ready. Your boy wasn't ready. The 5150 worked. The medications have kicked in. I've regained control of my life and I feel like a completely different person. Just kidding. I really don't. I'm just as stressed as I was last week, but last week was just like things were just piling up and everything was crazy and I I just had no uh I had no free time to do anything that I love which is one of these things and I didn't want to give you a half-assed episode especially because the couple that I wanted to talk about last week would require so much grace and uh and (laughs) it would require me to put forth so much and I didn't want to half-ass it because I care about this a lot um you guys I'm currently scrolling through 22 pages of notes about Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold. Can we talk? I don't even have words. I can't even tell you how excited I am. Um, <clears throat> I've been re-watching Roseanne recently. I always watch Roseanne, but just recently I went back and I was like, I'm going to start from like episode one, season one, and work myself through and just see how far I can go. Because at a certain point, I pretend that Roseanne doesn't exist like the last season to me is something that I've probably seen the whole way through maybe three times in my entire life um and that could actually be stretching it I just I just pretend it never happened you know I just pretend that it never happened to me they never won the lottery Dan didn't die the writing didn't become completely abysmal. You know, Jackie didn't become a fucking lunatic. Like, none of those things happened. Roseanne just stays, for me, in a perfect little, like, cocoon of 1980s and early 90s just perfection. And nothing will ever shake that for me. Um, but neither here nor there. I've been watching Roseanne. And, you know, I was watching her interactions with Tom from the very beginning to now. And, well, you know, the later seasons where he's gone. And I just found it so interesting. And I was just like, God, why have I not decided to talk about these two as a couple? Like, one of the most prolific, you know, exciting, polarizing couples of the 90s. Um, I mean, literally, like, invented tabloid culture almost. Like, these were... Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr were like... You can, I mean, you couldn't write what was happening to them at that time, and it really got me thinking. And uh, yeah, so I decided last week, you know, I I really wanted to put a lot into this episode, and I really wanted to like deliver for you, and you know, I want you to, <laughs> I want you to like me. So I decided to put it off, and I was like, you know what, I need like an extra week to really put forth the effort in this episode that it deserves. 
So here it is. Um, I hope you guys are excited. I texted Nicole and told her that I was nervous that you guys wouldn't care about Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr. And she told me that people would definitely care. I hope that you do. To me, this is like so exciting and so interesting and so fascinating. Um, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not as glamorous as Lindsay Lohan and Talon Torero, but you know, it's, it is what it is. It, it's Roseanne. And also, by the way, I'd like to just point out at the very beginning of this episode, before we go any deeper, we're four minutes and 22 seconds in. I am not going to be talking about Roseanne, the Trump supporter. It's not happening. I did 22 pages of notes and I'm, I went as deep as I'm willing to go. I am not going to be talking about gun-toting, cigar-smoking, Trump-supporting Roseanne Barr. It ain't happening. Like, this episode ends at their divorce, <laughs> and it ends with information about Tom and Roseanne, and I am not, I just, it's not something that I even, which, you know what, I think the reason will be more clear after we talk, you and I, because you'll have a better understanding of where I am emotionally with Roseanne. Um, you know, Roseanne is somebody that does mean a lot to me. She, at this point, with her Trump-supporting bullshit, it kind of feels like when you sit across the dinner table from somebody in your family who is a, a Trump supporter, and you don't really know how to exist with them in the way that you did before, but you still care about them because they're your family, that's how Roseanne feels for me. It's like, I don't want to cut her out of my life. She means everything to me. She helped raise me. And truthfully, she really did help me become the person I am today. Um, but at the same time, there's a part of me that now has to disconnect. And I have to disengage and not allow myself to get hurt by her. Because she's, uh, she's, she's cray, man. Like, she's fucking nuts. And it is what it is. I love her, I'll always love her, and I'll always love what she brought to my life, and to our country, and to this world, and to pop culture, and to tabloid culture, and to media. What she's done for women is, there really, there's no way to even put it into words. What Roseanne Barr has done for women in this country is beyond the scope of being able to, you know, to, to say it in a sentence. Um... But she's still a crazy fucking Trump supporter in 2017. And it breaks a lot of people's hearts. You know what I mean? It makes us really sad because it's so off brand for the Roseanne that we grew up with and what she stood for for so long, you know, to be in support of this like egotistical, like just fucking maniac. Like it's everything that Roseanne was against for her entire career. But, um, Neither here nor there, like I said, I don't, I'm not going to, like, tackle that. I, I don't know about you, but, like, I definitely can use an hour of my day to just, like, remove myself from, like, the Trump world that we live in right now, and, um, I hope that this is that for you. I hope that, you know, this doesn't trigger you or make you feel weird about Roseanne, because that's not the intention. Um, I, I just want to discuss all the great things that Roseanne did in the past, and, uh, yeah, so I guess we're seven minutes in, I'm already rambling. I have 22 pages of fucking notes to get through. Like, let's just get through it. Let's do it. Okay. So, Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold began dating in December of 1988. They married on January 20th of 1990, four days after Roseanne's previous divorce was finalized. And uh, they divorced officially on December 4th of 1994. Tom and Roseanne's relationship was, like I said, it was what 90s tabloid dreams were made of. It was... At one point, 
you know, they were the most polarizing, volatile, um, messy, white trash, but almost in this weird way, um, genius couples of the 90s. I mean, like, their power over this this country at a certain point, Roseanne's power over this country at a certain time in her life is, um, it's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. And, and I think it goes without saying that there would be, TV would be very shitty right now if it weren't for Roseanne. She really had a huge impact on changing the format of television and allowing sitcoms to be a little bit more real, tackle more intense issues. Like she was doing some real shit and she wasn't trying to do it in a sugar-coated way that, you know, like Full House and all those other shows were doing. Even the Cosby show, she wasn't perfect and that was what we loved about Roseanne. She was she represented an entire group of people in this country who had never been represented before, but really made this country what it is. Middle American people who are overweight and work jobs that are hard. We'll get into it. I'm going to talk about Roseanne. I don't want to like give off. I don't want to. What's that saying about the cow? You guys will fucking get the milk or whatever. If I give you the cow, you won't need to buy the milk or whatever. Um, and like, okay, so Though it was a wave that she rode for the better half of a decade, I do think it played a big part in her sort of like not being given the opportunity to work in network television again. The fact that Roseanne was so hated and they were so polarizing and there was so much drama and so much crazy shit that followed them for so long. I do think in the end it it, it did backfire, even though, you know, obviously it was her brand for a long time. Um, I think it totally fucked up the rest of her life, how polarizing she was during this time, specifically with uh, Tom Arnold. Um, Roseanne had the second biggest alimony payout in celebrity divorce history from a woman um, second to Guy Ritchie and Madonna. And I'm going to hold out on the exact number as ransom to keep you here to the end of the episode. Because like I just said, as I so elegantly put that saying, if I give you guys the cow or whatever, you're not going to like want milk. So, and Roseanne has also cited domestic violence and mental abuse as a catalyst for the divorce. Um, We will get into that later. She talks a lot about you know, um, about, uh, Tom abusing her and being physically abusive, mentally abusive, manipulative, cheating. Um, Tom has been pretty open about the fact that Roseanne's mental health played way more of a role in their divorce than anything that he did. Um, which Roseanne has never been shy about her mental issues and her issues with mental health. Um, she's openly diagnosed with multiple personality disorder and bipolar, which is again, something that we will get into, um, a little bit later. So, starting with Roseanne Barr. Um, Now, prior to meeting Tom Ronald, Roseanne was making a name for herself in the stand-up circuit. She performed at nightclubs in Denver um, and other small little towns in Colorado. (coughs) Excuse me. She made her first televised uh, appearance in 1985 on The Tonight Show. A year later, she performed on Letterman. And uh, as a result, HBO gave her a one-hour special called The Roseanne Barr Show. Uh, the special was nominated and won an American Academy, I'm sorry, an American Academy Award. And Amer- <laughs> it won an American Golden Emmy Award, an American Comedy Award for the funniest female performer. 
And uh, Roseanne's style of comedy was extremely unique for the time. I mean, she gave, you know, a voice, to, like I said, to real middle American housewives and mothers that, you know, had never really been represented in an authentic way ever. Maybe, ev- in my opinion, in comedy ever. Like, you had women like Joan Rivers um, and Phyllis Diller who, you know, they did give a voice to other female comics and and women in general in this country. But Roseanne's style of comedy was so specific to a niche market of women. It wasn't all women. It was a specific kind of woman. Um, And it very specifically spoke to, like I said earlier, like middle of the country women who, you know, worked just as hard as their husbands to make ends meet. And, you know, women who would take shitty temp jobs and, you know, do whatever they could to make money to keep their family afloat. You know, these were women who, for lack of better terms, were kind of like the men of their house, you know, whatever that means and whatever that meant at the time, especially in the 80s. And she represented what it meant to live in a household where, you know, there was no question that the mom was definitely in charge. Like it wasn't even debated. Like the mom was the one that you were afraid of. It wasn't your dad. It was your mom. Um, You know, also the woman who, you know, would do all these things, but get no credit for it at all. Like that's who Roseanne was speaking to was this sort of misrepresented, unrepresented, um, just completely sort of blanketed woman that was actually like the heart of everybody's family. You know what I mean? Like the heart of families in this country. And I don't know. It's actually incredible to me because it doesn't seem like that long ago. Like the early eighties doesn't seem like that long ago as far as like culture goes, but where we were culturally in the early eighties is so fucking insane and so far gone. Like, there's really no, like, comparison to, like, now, but, uh, I don't know, it's just crazy. It's crazy to me, especially, too, because Roseanne was somebody who just was kind of herself. I mean, like, you would never look at somebody and be like, I've got it. We'll come up with this concept for an overweight, um, not, like, on, on paper attractive woman who dresses very matronly, um, and is bitter and mean, (laughs) and, hates men uh we'll we'll give her a show you know what i mean she's like the the most perfect example of like just being yourself and then that sort of resulting in you know whatever that thing is that you represent there's a bunch of people like you out there that are probably looking for something similar and you know yada 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 um the character of peggy bundy from uh married but children was actually written for Roseanne at the time um this was meant to be like her big sort of breakout role she was going to do Married with Children and help launch Fox as a network. Um, And Married with Children was the first anti-family family sitcom on television, and they felt Roseanne's style of comedy would fit perfectly into the role. Um, They ended up seeing her HBO special, and and they wrote the part for her, but she turned it down to pursue her own TV show, which I've heard Roseanne in these interviews now talk a lot about in, in her book, she wrote about how, you know, when she was a little girl, she always knew that by 33, she'd have a TV show and uh, that she would play herself. She talks about it all the time that when she was younger, you know, there was a lot of stuff that she did um, knowing that it didn't really matter because eventually she was going to be super wealthy 
and she was going to have her own TV show. And that was just, she knew that was where her life was going to go. And she always talks about how insane it is. Like, even when she goes back and reads, like, old journal, journal entries and stuff or, like, notes that she would write to her sister... You know, she would write notes about how, you know, like, you're a bitch, but (laughs) when we're older, you're going to be living off me because I'll be the one with the TV show with my name as the title. And, like, you're, you know, you're going to regret the way you treat me. And uh, that's what she ended up doing. Also, can you just imagine, by the way, like, Roseanne as Peggy Bundy? Like, can we take a minute to, like, just talk? Like, Roseanne as Peggy Bundy? How terrible Married with Children would have been? Um, so the executive producers of the Cosby show, Tom Werner, who is very important, he's a very important role in Roseanne's life in so many different ways, and uh, Marcy Carson were interested in writing a show about an extremely realistic middle American family, a working class family of factory workers who scrape by to make ends meet, and uh, the writers had seen Roseanne's HBO special. And they wrote the show specifically with her in mind. And it was important to the writers that the mother be the central voice of the show, which was something that we hadn't seen before. Like up to that point, you know, the mother figure in a sitcom was a central cast member, but never the actual lead voice. And if she was, it was always a little bit more cartoonish. Like, the show was never from the perspective of the woman at all, really, to be honest with you. Even, I mean, there were shows like I Love Lucy, but Lucy didn't have children and their show wasn't realistic. It wasn't an actual representation of marriage. It was a silly fun show about like a silly fun couple. Um, interracial, so still controversial, but uh, it wasn't the same thing. There was never like a sitcom that just centered around a woman as the head of the household with a husband who's like a little bit more submissive to her. And, you know, she's unapologetically... She's unapologetically unapologetic, if that makes sense. She's unapologetically herself. She's unapologetically fat. She's unapologetically poor. She's unapologetically mean. She's unapologetically funny. You know what I mean? And and that was, like, not anything that we had ever seen before, which was, again, like, a, a sort of version of Roseanne's act. You know, her stand-up act was her complaining about men. Um, you know, the controversy surrounding Roseanne's stand-up came from the fact that she was a woman slash housewife making the man slash husband the butt of the joke. And that, again, was something that had never really been done before. If there was a punchline, the punchline was always, but up but it's because I'm a girl, but up because I'm an idiot, but up I'm not pretty, but up I'm fat, but up which was a part of her whole thing, but also it was equal. She just as much, like, fucked with men as much as she did women. And again, that was something that we had just never really seen. Um, Roseanne premiered on October 18th of 1988. Uh, 21 million people watched, making it the highest rated series premiere of the season. Uh, Roseanne remained at the top of its time slot for six of its nine seasons. And, um, I always talk about how it doesn't really ever pay off on this podcast to be the first person to do something because no matter how great you do it or, you know, how successful you are or how, you know, the result of what happens, it's like, for some reason, people have a much stronger memory of, like, the second guy that does it or the third guy or the twelfth guy. Um, Those are the people that 
that people some for some reason they remember and the first person to do something no matter how prolific and iconic and how big it is it feels like somehow gets pushed aside like when when a certain amount of time passes it's as, it's like it just didn't happen it's, it becomes like a relic um now like i said earlier roseanne obviously fell off towards the end um the finale is without a doubt the worst ending in my opinion in television history like offensively bad for a show that meant so much to people like a literal slap in the face to me terrible horrible season finale or series finale um but the first few few seasons of that show were able in my opinion to do something that had never been done before and again in my opinion has never really been done again i think you know other shows have tried to accomplish it but They've never been able to do it and really capture the essence of a real family the way Roseanne was the first few seasons. Um, it just never felt as real. And, you know, it was it was just it was the truest depiction of a family TV had ever seen for better or for worse, for good or for bad. Like their house was a mess. They didn't have a lot of money their, their You know, the parents were overweight they could barely afford to make ends meet but like that was just very real like it wasn't perfect and that's what an american family was and always has been and, and is and always will be um and also can we talk about aunt jackie for a second the actual heart of the fucking show one of the greatest television characters i think of all time and honestly like Lori metcalf's portrayal of what it meant to be all of their portrayals of what it meant to be family members, to be children, to be moms, to be dads, like it felt very, very visceral and very real. And it felt like something that you could just completely get lost in. But Lori Metcalf's performance and portrayal of what it meant to be an aunt, to be Aunt Jackie, was so spot on because it's hard to it's hard to describe the relationship that you have with like your aunt. You know what I mean? It's hard to describe what an aunt means to a family and, like, what she represents. But, like, Lori Metcalf just, like, her portrayal of that was just so perfect. And she perfectly played what it was to be somebody's favorite aunt. You know what I mean? That feeling of, like, she's kind of like my mom, but not because she's cooler. And I can tell her anything, but I'm still kind of scared of her. I don't want to disappoint her. Um, she's cool. She's down to earth. She's funny. You know what I mean? Like, she was just, she was the best. And one of my favorite things about Roseanne in general, about the entire show, especially in the older seasons, are those very sort of, like, tiny, um, sometimes never even mentioned nuances that make the show feel that much more real like for example i'm just gonna like let's just get into roseanne can we because I, I i'm like i'm all jazzed up now uh, <laughs> for example the fact that like okay so roseanne and jackie's relationship reflects so much in my opinion on now this is all my opinion i'm not this isn't like fact um but it just reflects so much on in the, the way that darlene and becky sort of interact with each other and you know especially when the girls are super young you know they're always sort of having boiled down versions of what jack boiled down fights of what jackie and roseanne are fighting about 
like the Roseanne and, and Jackie version is always a little bit more complicated, but then Darlene and Becky will be having like a similar argument that's as simple as like, you know, I want to kiss a boy and I don't know how to kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's it's like a the trivial version, but the relationships are so similar and it's just so perfectly written because it's not in your face it's something that you'd have to like notice and watch over time especially when you watch the whole show a million times and go back and watch it like i can't even tell you how many times i've watched the first like six seasons of roseanne truthfully i couldn't (laughs) i don't even want to know it's one of those things that i just don't want to know the number but it's a lot and it just adds i mean the more you go back and watch it it just adds like the layers and layers to sort of build of like how intense the relationships are um also the fact that uh you know Roseanne is so clearly like the ruler of the house obviously and you know she definitely is the one that like wears the pants she's the one that's in charge she's you know the one that everybody answers to she's the one that the kids are afraid of she, you know Dan is afraid of Roseanne when it comes down to it Uh, But she's also completely dependent on Jackie emotionally. And it's obvious that Jackie, like, knows that. And she's also kind of, she also kind of likes it because, you know, it makes her, it gives her a reason to feel like she has, like, a purpose. You know, she doesn't have children. She doesn't have a husband for a long time. She's, you know, forever single, but also forever never single because she's in terrible relationships for the majority of the season or the series. And, um, you know, she can tell, you can tell that she sort of likes Roseanne needing her. And the counter argument to that being the fact that, you know, Roseanne essentially runs Jackie's entire life. And, you know, from what she wears to who she dates to, you know, where she works, you know, (laughs) what she does with her free time. And it drives Jackie crazy. But she also, again, kind of craves that unconditional love that Roseanne gives her you know, because she doesn't get it from anybody. She doesn't have anybody. And, you know, she's, their mother is a nightmare. So, and Roseanne knows that. And she knows that she's kind of Jackie's mom. And those are things that you just can't, I mean, they're so, those are the kind of nuances that you look at your family and think like, God, like it's, it would be so hard to explain this to somebody. They would never get it. You know, nobody would ever understand that my aunt Jackie is like a forever mess and you know she's totally codependent on my my mom but my mom is also a mess too and and my aunt jackie knows it and she's just so you know she's strong enough of a person to not have to throw it in her face all the time even though my mom does it to her you know it's like this it's very 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 nuanced and like perfectly written and subtle but also right there for you to pick up to see because it's i could go on for days i mean the fact that roseanne and dan have you know, such a specific and unique relationship with both of their children. You know, I think Roseanne sees a little bit of herself in both of them, you know, but especially I think in Darlene, it's obvious that Roseanne and Darlene have a similar, you know, way of dealing with life through sarcasm and, you know, sort of bouncing everything off of them so that it doesn't hurt them, you know, and even though it's never fully mentioned it's all it's always obvious that you know a mom has a favorite kid like if there's more than one kid parents have a favorite it just is what it is and it's usually the one that is most similar to them you know (laughs) like it's not it's no secret and uh you know darlene is so clearly roseanne's i think favorite child and was probably the most like roseanne when she was younger you know dan is 
close to Darlene up until the point that he can't relate to her on tomboy things anymore. You know, the things that she used to love as a child. And then once she, you know, gets rid of her basketball and she starts wearing black and she, you know, stops watching the game, you know, it's like they no longer have a relationship. And like that also is so fucking relatable. And it's something that happens slowly on the show and is addressed after so long, but, like, you're watching it happen like you would a real family. Um, you know, also the fact that, you know, Becky is obviously the more feminine of the two sisters, therefore Dan feels like he needs to, like, protect her more. So, you know, Darlene can do something and it's no big deal because it's Darlene and she's tough and she can handle herself and she used to be a tomboy. But if Becky does something, it's, like, the end of the world because she's you know, she's the damsel. She's the, the the one that's gonna be tied up on a railroad track somewhere that Dan has to come protect her, you know? And it's, again, that's... Could, I was gonna say it's something that can't be written, but I, it actually was written, and that's what's so fucking crazy about Roseanne. Um, and the last thing I'll say about the show is Roseanne's jobs is something that really relates to me. Um, and I'll say this again, I've been saying it the entire time. I'll try and stop, but, like, you know, those first few seasons are so motherfucking good. And, uh... You know, Roseanne's jobs were always something that just felt relatable and real, and it felt like something, like, I don't know, it felt like something that you almost needed to, like, snap, like, when I was younger, I used to watch Roseanne and, like, look around the room and be like, is this real? Like, I'd be like, I know that this is on TV, but, like, is this a fucking real family? Like, are Roseanne and Dan really married? Are those her kids? I don't get it. And I never had those feelings with another show. I never watched other sitcoms and wondered, like, if they were actually real. But with Roseanne, I did all the fucking time. I constantly wondered as a kid, like, is this real? Because it just felt so relatable, especially Roseanne's jobs. You know, whether it was, you know, the factory, the diner, um, the hair salon, the chicken restaurant, like... It didn't matter. It always just felt very real. It felt relatable to the lives of people who grew up watching their parents, you know, wake up super early to go spend the majority of their day at a place that clearly they hated being at, you know, and it was something that as a child you don't really fully understand, but the only thing you know is that they're doing it to take care of you, which even that you still kind of don't get you know that there's like a money exchange you know so you're an ungrateful little twat because you don't really get it and you know watching how ungrateful the kids are to Roseanne that she'll go and work at a chicken restaurant you know a fast food place at like a KFC and you know have a teenage boss that is terrible to her and then she comes home and they treat her like shit and that's what's for dinner it's you know, it it really it's it helps you reflect. It's like, good God, like this is every kid in America that didn't grow up wealthy. This is like what it, this is what it looks like. I'm gonna stop. I could easily go on for another hour and a half about the nuances in Roseanne and the characters and their relationships and what they meant to me and blah blah blah. I'm gonna stop because we have a whole. 57 more pages to get through of notes that I took and I don't want to uh I don't want to spend four hours sitting here talking about how much I love Aunt Jackie which I could honestly I swear to god I could um now there was success of the show along with Seinfeld actually which later kind of became Roseanne's uh syndication nemesis 
became the reason that networks started to give comedians television shows. Uh, so, you know, shows like Home Improvement, who uh, some of the people from Roseanne Winton worked on, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, Ellen, um, Grace Under Fire, those were all sort of direct reflections of the fact that Roseanne was very... I think somebody's dying outside. Sorry. Not editing that out. It's very real. We're raw here. I'm just like Roseanne. <laughs> I don't edit out when, a, when an ambulance goes by because it's real and it's raw and it's nuanced and you can relate to the feeling of a, an ambulance going by your window and scaring the shit out of you and, and, and annoying you because the sound is so loud and then you feel bad that you're annoyed because somebody could be dying inside it. Sorry, I had to take a sip of my ice water. Um, so during the first season, Roseanne had this very famously tumultuous relationship um, with the co-creator of the show, Matt Williams. Um, it was extremely combative and it made headlines. I mean, they were pretty open about the fact that they hated each other. Roseanne would do interviews all the time telling people how much she hated Matt. Like it wasn't, you know, it was, let's just say it was no secret. Um, let's see. I have a quote here actually from Matt when uh, this was sort of the catalyst for what really started to like really make them hate each other. It says, Roseanne was apparently outraged when she saw the first episode of the, of the first season and it read Matt's name as the creator of the series. Roseanne gave a quote to Entertainment Weekly saying, we built the show around my actual life and my kids. The domestic goddess thing was mine. The whole thing was mine. Um, and then he later went on saying, like, you know, I can't believe that she doesn't understand that this is, like, something that I don't have control over. And, you know, the the network does all that stuff. It has nothing to do with me. They have final say. You know, I can't choose to take somebody's name out of the show as the creator. You know, I am the creator of the show. I came to her with the idea. You know, obviously, she's the lead and blah, blah, blah. Which, as a side note, you really have to take into account the fact that and this is also something that I think is very, uh, very apparent when you watch the first few seasons of the show compared to like the very last few. Roseanne had never acted and Roseanne had never done. She'd never been on film. I mean, she had been on stage doing stand up, but she had never been in a film. She'd never done anything. So for somebody that green to have that level of, of success and have, you know, an entire show to be basically plucked from a stage at a time when that was something that nobody really did and to be like, okay, so you're funny. You have an interesting life. Do you want to make an entire series based on your life and you'll act in it, even though you've never acted and you'll write it, even though you've never written anything except for your own stand up. And, uh, yeah, you know, like that's insane. But I think Roseanne being so green and so new made her a better I think Roseanne's acting is much better in the first few ooh, in the first few seasons of that show. I, I don't know. That's my opinion. I think that like later on when it becomes super like cheesy and the writing gets really terrible and Roseanne starts like quote acting, you can tell. And I've actually read quotes from Roseanne saying that like she didn't start acting on the show until, you know, the later seasons because she wasn't an actor. She didn't know how to act. And I think you can kind of tell when she starts acting, if you will. Um, and I think that's what makes the first few seasons so great because she is just sort of being herself. It's a show about her and uh, she's just being Roseanne in a show called Roseanne about her family. 
Um, and their relationship grew more and more volatile as the show went on. Roseanne would refuse to say certain lines written by him. You know, she would walk off the set pretty regularly. And, uh, you know, she would hold up production. And she would sometimes refuse to film. And <laughs> it got so bad that she threatened to leave the show if ABC didn't fire him. Which, obviously, of course... You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So... Go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.